0: Scripture sermon text for this evening comes from Galatians chapter 3, Galatians 3 verse 26 through verse 29, page 876 in the back of the Trinity hymnal. We'll read the answers together for Catechism questions 91 through 93 for our catechism lesson tonight. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 26. Here, once again... God's holy word. Galatians 3, verse 26. We pick up our consideration there. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Question 91 of the Shorter Catechism. Let's read the answers together. Beloved, how do the sacraments become effectual means of salvation? The sacraments become effectual means of salvation, not from any virtue in them or in him that doth administer them, but only by the blessing of Christ and the working of his Spirit in them that by faith receive them. What is a sacrament? A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein, by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. Which are the sacraments of the New Testament? The sacraments of the New Testament are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Beloved congregation, let's consider these things together as we close our Lord's Day. The science fair project was always kind of a daunting task in fifth or sixth grade. And uh, if you're anything like me, you kind of put that off towards right before it was due. I was able to come up with quite the strategy uh, one year, though. I think my last year living in in Minnesota, my plan was... um, I was supposed to kind of do it over Christmas break because I'd I'd put it off. And uh, so New Year's Day, uh, there were only about six or seven science fair projects everybody kind of shared. You know, you had the volcano one and uh, all these other ones that people typically did. I did the flashlight one. So you you put uh, Duracell batteries and Energizer batteries in two flashlights and you just check the voltage every hour and check the brightness. And, and voila, after about uh, what ended up being about 23 hours, uh, you have a, a science fair project, or at least the, the, the data to make it happen. But my plan was uh, New Year's Day. My, my big you know, wonderful thing to do as an 11, 12-year-old boy on New Year's Day was, of course, to watch college football from beginning to end of the day. That was my ideal day. So I came up with a science fair project. Where every hour I could just check the flashlights and then go right back uh, to watching the game. Uh, the the daytime days turned into uh, daytime hours turned into evening hours. The evening hours turned into nighttime hours, and I had a good father. I have a, a very good father, and he stayed up <laughs> after I fell asleep into 2, 3, and 4 a.m. as the batteries uh, were still going. Impressive, uh, impressive batteries uh, Duracell and Energizer make, I found out uh, that year. But when you, you go then finally to the science fair, and what do you have? Well, you have to get the, the trifold poster board, and that, of course, represents, it sets forth the work that you have done. Uh, It it makes it look real fancy, like you did something that's really intelligent. I I made about seven or eight graphs that Microsoft Office uh, produced for me. felt real smart standing in front of my poster board. It was represented. And then, after the science fair, if you stand there all Saturday and you you kind of look real intelligent with all of your data behind you, uh, at the end of the day, they give you a a ribbon some kind of of ribbon, the real smart kids got uh, first place or best in show or something like that. I certainly would have gotten one that would have said participant. You know, I was there. I was was a part of it. That's about it. And uh, the one special thing, though, was if you came back, everybody had to present a project in class, but if you went to the science fair on Saturday, the science teacher gave you so much extra credit that it almost made it impossible to get anything less than an A in class. And so... Of course, if you had uh, any, any sense, you would go, right? How, why would you not? So there you have the work represented uh, on your board. You have the, the seal, the confirmation that you participated in the, the science fair with your participation ribbon. And then finally, the, uh, the, the, the final piece, the cherry on top, the application of so much extra credit that you are uh, able then to receive a good grade in class. Represented, sealed, and applied. There you have in the science fair something similar to what the catechism says happens with the sacraments. The sacraments set Christ's work before us. It's a proclamation of the gospel. We need to to consider that tonight. That's really what we need to understand about the sacraments. And that keeps us from falling into various errors when it comes to the sacraments. Uh, it's a seal, a, a confirmation of the truth of the gospel, and, and certainly the three forms of unity beautifully uh, display this to us, right? As surely as I see the water, the bread, the cup, I taste them, as surely as I see the minister break the bread and give it to me, that's how sure I can be that Christ's death accomplished my salvation. And then apply. There's an application to those who rightly use the sacraments in true faith. That grace is given to us. And we need to think about that and understand it rightly as well. Consider these things together. What and why? What are the sacraments? Why has God given them to us? Let's uh, consider these things together. As I mentioned, they're a a means. A means of grace. It's a, a way that God sustains His people to the day of final deliverance. It says there, how are the sacraments effectual means of salvation? You can understand salvation in a couple different ways. Of course, we are uh, possessors of salvation through faith in Christ. Our salvation is sure in Him. It is certain in Him. And so in that sense, we say we are saved, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. And we uh, we hold salvation surely. There's no question about that. And yet, you can also understand salvation as final and complete deliverance from sin and misery. And the Bible often pictures salvation that way, that when the curse is finally done away with, when death is finally done, then that is the day of salvation. And so, sacraments are God's means of grace, one of His means of grace to sustain us, to nourish us unto the day of salvation. And in that way, they become effectual means of salvation. It's interesting, though, isn't it, that uh, question 91 or answer 91 begins by saying what sacraments are not. Uh, the sacraments become effectual means of salvation not because of any virtue in them, nor in him that administers them. In other words, the, the, the minister or the one giving uh, the sacrament, And so, we, we, you notice that because you see, you see that they're wanting to protect us from falling into errors when it comes to the sacraments because this is a place where, because of the corruption of the human heart and pride and many other things, sacraments can be a way for us or, or an easy place for us to develop misunderstandings. So, answer 91 tells us they are not magic. They, they, they don't work because of any virtue that is inherent in them, any value, any efficacy that is found in and of itself. This, of course, is a refutation of, of Roman Catholic doctrine. And, and also, you, you could add to that Eastern Orthodoxy, though that's not necessarily in the purview, really, of uh, the Westminster Standards. But those two uh, wings of Christendom would view the sacraments as something like they, they will work insofar as you use them. It's not a, a call to necessarily use them in, in faith, but more of a, of a guarantee, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. They're not magic. Jack and the Beanstalk, he had the magic beans, he puts them in the ground, and what's going to happen? The magic stalk is going to grow. We can't think about the sacraments that way that uh, just because you go to church and sit in the pew and take the Lord's Supper, boom, you have grace that is given to you. They are not inherently effectual, in other words. It comes only by what? By Christ's blessing, the working of the Spirit in those who receive the sacraments by faith. So true faith is absolutely vital, but you need to remind yourself that just because you bring true faith to the sacraments, it's still dependent on something greater. It's dependent on the blessing of Christ. And if you come to the table, if you come to the sacraments, if you come to the church with a true and a vital faith, it will always wait upon the blessing of Christ. True faith always is looking to the Savior, always looking to the Mediator, always looking to the Redeemer. We wait for Him, we wait upon Him, and we wait for His blessing. So they're not inherently effectual, they are not magical. We also see that sacraments are not effectual because they come from a minister or a particular minister. Here, the the standards are not trying to say that the ministry is nothing, that ordination is nothing. And they're not saying that sacraments could or ought to be given by anyone. There's a, there's a high view there of the ministry of the gospel. But they're saying you need to be careful of an error. You can think, well, it's better to be baptized by so-and-so or uh, receiving of the table at the hands of so-and-so. Ministers are merely instruments to be used of God for his own working. There's a great uh, Scotsman, churchman, Ebenezer Erskine, who was part of the dissenting church. And this is a, this is a wonderful story uh, re- re- involving him. It says this, A lady was present at the observance of the Lord's Supper where Ebenezer Erskine was assisting, and she was much impressed by his discourse. Having been informed who he was, she went next Sabbath to his own place of worship to hear him. But she felt none of those strong impressions she experienced on the former occasion. Wondering at this, she called on Erskine and stating the case, asked, what might be the reason of such a difference in her feelings? He replied, Madam, the reason is this. Last Sunday, you went to hear Jesus Christ, but today, you have come to hear Ebenezer Erskine. Beautiful story, isn't it? Uh, The sacraments, the word of God, preaching it's all made effectual by the blessing of Christ in the working of the holy spirit and so as we think about this relative to the sacraments what makes them effectual not the one who administers them and this of course is a this was a big controversy in the early church as the church was under persecution and pastors were falling away those those who had been set up as as ministers in the church were falling away from the faith renouncing the faith and and then people were were having uh, a, a crisis and saying that pastor who has renounced christ in the eyes of all baptized me he was the one who placed upon me the sacrament of baptism am i not baptized and so, there was much confusion about this, and it has been determined from the earliest times of the church that that's not what the sacrament depends upon. And that's why the, 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 the vitality of the church is found in places other than the sinful human beings that are in her, even in the ministry. It's all dependent upon Christ's blessing. It's all dependent upon the working of a sovereign God, even though such events and falling away is uh, a terrible thing to witness. So, they're not magic, and they are not made effectual by the minister. We need to be careful of that. What are they? Well, they're signs of the benefits of Christ. What, what are the benefits of Christ? It's everything that's clearly shown forth in the gospel. Galatians 3, 20, you are all sons of God through faith. Clear declaration of what salvation is and how to be set right with God, how to be welcomed into the family of God. How are you set right with God? A true faith in Jesus Christ, And by a true faith in Jesus Christ, not only are we redeemed, justified, God adopts us into the family of God. We have a seat at the table. We have a right and a privilege unto all the blessings contained therein. We're sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's because of that that we have to build our understanding of the sacraments out of from that conviction. Whatever we say about the sacraments cannot contradict the gospel. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because of what we said earlier, because the sacraments proclaim the gospel. They're a way to set the truth of the gospel before us, so they cannot contradict it. They are signs of the benefits of Christ, both baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism, what does it signify? Well, uh, many things that are, are fairly obvious in, in the, the witnessing of it washing and forgiveness, right? The, the, the washing of the water reminds us of the forgiveness that comes only in Christ. We are baptized into Christ. So there's union to be united to Him and the blessing of being united to Christ through the gospel. There's purity, again. Uh, pulling on the, the, the signs of, of washing, right standing with God, those who are pure, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, and therein you see, part of the meaning of baptism uh, wrapped up in that. Consecration and holiness, uh, uh, we'll see later on, baptism also signifies our engagement to be the Lord, so there's a consecration there a life that is lived unto God. If you have been baptized into the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, you have been set apart. The gospel is set before you and God calls you to embrace it and he calls you in the washing of baptism to live a consecrated life, seeking holiness for him and for his glory. Baptism signifies all of that and more. The Lord's Supper signifies what? Jesus' price that was paid for sin, the price that he paid For our sin in his body broken and his blood shed. God's wrath passes over us in that Christ is our Passover and we are covered in the blood of the lamb for he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So God's wrath passes over us because his wrath has been satisfied as we sang earlier tonight. We also see in the Lord's Supper what's signified is that God feeds us and he nourishes us We are to come to Him in reliance and and trust because we need the nourishment that He gives to us. It's also uh, wonderful to consider the, the, the two elements of the Lord's Supper. There's bread and there's wine. What is that signifying? Well, many things, but one of the main things that it's signifying is that God sustains us and feeds us in a daily way. In an ongoing sense, bread is the staple of human existence. And so he feeds us in a way that, uh, as your days your strength shall be, rely upon me, for I am the one who is giving you daily strength. He also feeds us in a celebratory way. Wine is tied to to, to blessing and celebration and abundance. And so he not only gives us that which sustains us in the day to day, but he also gives us an abundant blessing. That reminds us of the the marriage feast of the Lamb and the wondrous nature of all that He gives to us, the overflowing nature of His mercy and grace and salvation. The two sacraments of the New Testament church signify all those things and more. But there are also seals. What is a seal? the sacraments appeal to our senses as a way to certify the truth of the gospel i recently took a a class that i have to take for uh, an illinois qualification so at the, at the end of the class i got the certificate you need the certificate you you pay the fee really to get the certificate so you better make sure you get that because the state wants to make sure that you took the class so it's, it's the seal it certifies it. it. certifies that you have done something. A seal shows something to be true. You need to understand that the way seal is working is it's certifying the truth of the gospel. And, it's, and it, it affirms that all who rightly use the sacrament are those who are the inheritors of salvation. Again, it does not mean... Because it's a seal, it does not mean that even if you just eat the bread and drink the cup, then all of a sudden you're good. It's not what it means. It's a seal to the truth of the gospel, and it affirms that those who come with a true faith, and have a true faith attached, rightly using the sacrament, they, these are the ones who can rest in God's finished work and in the blessing that He gives to, uh, to them through these things. And then the application So they are represented and sealed and applied. When the sacraments are rightly used, true believers receive the benefits that are contained therein. The Reformed view of the the sacraments, in other words, is really caught between two extremes. The sacraments are not magical, and they're not nothing. Believe that they're means of grace, it means they're not magic, and they are not nothing. In, In the Roman Catholic Church, it is the ex opere operato, in the working or out of the working it works so take it and you receive the grace but it's not nothing the other extreme that denies that baptism and the lord's supper are means of grace well baptism is nothing but a dedication or a way to say something communion is merely a memorial they're more than that they're means of grace they represent and seal and apply all the benefits of salvation in true believers by the blessing of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. Why is this why is this view in between the two extremes why is it helpful useful for us? Well because it keeps us centered on the gospel. It keeps us centered on the gospel of Christ because it's always setting forth the gospel to us. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, with the administration of baptism, with the administration of the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the gospel of Christ and we say, these signs are given to you to help the weakness of your faith. Look to them, and in looking to them, look to Christ and all that we see in the true gospel set forth to us. It also keeps us reliant upon God. If they're if there means of grace, then we need to rely upon Him. And we learn a daily reliance upon God because we are reminded in this view of the sacraments that the grace that He gives by the blessing of Christ and by the power of the Spirit is what we need in order to live lives that glorify Him. And so if you have this view and you, you cling to it, and you become reliant upon God, and you learn to see baptism in the Lord's Supper this way, then what will you do? Well, naturally, you, you would go to uh, the catechism where it says that the ordinances are the word and sacraments and prayer. And so even in your daily practice of seeking the Lord, it will make you more reliant upon prayer because you will see that God has given us that as well in order to pour out His grace and Spirit in our lives. And so it's something that can even help your practice of prayer, keeping you reliant upon God. And then finally, it keeps us in the church. For where else will you find the sacraments rightly administered? When you have this view and you see the importance of it in your life, a means that God uses to bring you to the day of salvation, it keeps you in the church. Where else will you find the, ra- the sacraments rightly administered? Nowhere for they are given to the church. So then with the remainder of our time, why? Why has he given us these things? Well, first this. That the sacraments are a vital piece of our union with Christ. And being united to Christ and our union with Christ is at this, the center of the spiritual life that we live. Right? So it's right at the center. So it's a vital piece Verse 27 from our passage, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So baptism signifies being united to Him. The Lord's Supper signifies our life in Him. Verse 27 of Galatians 3 is clearly speaking of the ultimate reality of baptism, the spiritual side of it. If you've been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. In other words, all of those who have uh, been baptized into the mystical reality of Christ by the power of the Spirit. All those who have been regenerated from spiritual death to spiritual life, you are united to the Savior. And baptism signifies that reality, but outward baptism is a sign and a seal of it. But we also read that there is a, a spiritual or sacramental union between the thing that is signified and the sign itself. And that's why baptism is so important, why the Lord's Supper is so, so vital, because Christ has so blessed it that you, will, you can be assured that in rightly using these things, these sacraments that the Lord gives to us, there the realities will be known and experienced in a deeper way being united to Christ. We we, we come into a greater experience and joy in that through rightly using uh, the sacraments. So they're a vital piece of our union with Christ. They also strengthen our faith and all other graces. So if the sacraments strengthen faith, and here we have this emphasis again, if God has given these things to to strengthen our faith, then they can only serve the gospel of grace. And again, it keeps us from falling into error. The sacraments must rightly come alongside the truth of the gospel, and highlight it so you can never fall into the error of thinking, I am saved because I take the Lord's Supper. I am saved because I have been outwardly baptized. No, there are ways of putting forth the gospel, which is what? You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. must highlight that. How does it strengthen faith? Well, the sacrament strengthened faith by putting our amazing salvation before our eyes. It puts it on display. That the glorious Son of God came to earth and lived and died for you. Richard Sibbs says this. That the servant nature of Christ coming as a man and living for you and dying for you and accomplishing your salvation, he says, it's mercy above all mercy and love above all love. There is nothing like it. You will never find anything like the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to those who look to the Savior through it and understand something of its meaning and depth will have unshakable joy in this world. And so they, the, the, the sacraments strengthen our faith because it puts that before us. To sit before the Lord's table, you ought to feel differently than at any other time. Again, it doesn't mean that it's magical, but it's because we feel the weight of Christ's sacrifice for us. You feel something of its significance. One theologian puts it this way, "...while I gaze upon the emblem of of my Savior's death, may I ponder why he died and hear him say, I gave my life to purchase yours." Presented myself an offering to expiate your sin. Shed my blood to blot out your guilt. Opened my side to make you clean. Endured your curses to set you free. Bore your condemnation to satisfy divine justice. And then he adds to it a prayer. Oh, may I rightly grasp the breadth and length of this design. John Newton says, None will prize the Savior but those who feel their need for him and before the table, you, you ought to feel your need for Christ. Would any of this be necessary? The giving of the Son, the sacrifice of the Son, a life lived, bloodshed, body broken, the Son of God, the one who was the center of the Father's love. Would any of it be necessary if we were not sinful, if we did not need a Savior? Obviously, this was the way that God intended to save us none will prize the Savior but those who feel their need for him and as we come before uh, these blessed ordinances we we see that we need him and we see that we need to be saved next it strengthens assurance that the sacraments strengthen our assurance Uh, again it's putting before us the truth of the matter And God knowing that we have this sense in us that walking by faith and having our eyes uh, not or or not seeing our Savior, not being able to, to put our eyes upon him, but walking through this world with the eyes of faith, we tend to be weighed down with doubt. And so God gives us these things to say, look at them, as surely as you see them, as surely as you use them, feel them, taste them. That is how sure you can be that God saves you uh, in Jesus Christ they also so they strengthen assurance and that is one of the greatest gifts that that they are to us they also oblige us to obedience as many of you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ and so here we have the, uh, the, the dual reality, putting on Christ. And if you go elsewhere in the New Testament, whenever you see that language of putting on, usually what Paul is talking about is putting on the, the righteousness of a life lived for the glory of God. And so your spiritual life, and this is the way Paul is reasoning in Romans chapter 6, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to righteousness in Jesus Christ. The spiritual reality of someone who has gone from death to life and has been placed inside of Jesus Christ ought to live out the implications of that reality. When you trust in Jesus Christ, God places you in Him, mystically united to Him. And you ought to live out the reality that you have put him on. So Ephesians 4.24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.10, you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And Romans 13.14, put, on Je- put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The sacraments confront us with this truth or with this question, would you live in sin having been bought with such a price? You are not your own, you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Next, the sacraments distinguish us from the world. And they strengthen our bond with one another. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That verse can be very easily misunderstood. But really what that's highlighting is the the main things that tend to divide the human race. Ethnicity, status, and also um, male-female distinction. We were talking about this in catechism this morning. Part of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, he puts enmity between male and female, and that's why that relationship is at times very hard to navigate in this world, right? Now, these are the, the main things that divide the human race. Ethnicity, social status, right, slave or free, male and female. And so what that verse is saying is those things that most easily divide us, that set us at odds, that create enmity between people. In Christ Jesus, those things fade away. The things that divide the world ought not to divide the church. Why? Because as Ephesians 2 says, the wall of hostility has been broken down. The walls of of hostility that divide the human race and that will always divide humanity outside of the walls of the church ought not to divide inside the walls of the church, and so we are called to live out that reality. We are called to make sacrifices to make sure that reality is lived out. The more that we focus upon Christ and what He has done and how His work collectively humbles us to come before the table of the Lord in true faith, everyone who comes in true faith is humbled, ought to be humbled, must be. So, the more we collectively focus on Him and are collectively humbled and are collectively made thankful and grateful, the more the people of God will experience a unity unlike the world ever can. One of my heroes, uh, Harry Reeder, the pastor in the PCA and uh, one of his first churches in, in Florida uh, underwent a, kind of a, an, an amazing time of, of gospel re- revival became a a very uh, notable uh, church, and Presbyterian church in America, and particularly was was noted for the ways that it was reaching across ethnic lines. And some people had reached out to him and said, well, how how did you do that? Because this is the big question in in the church oftentimes. How do you create a church that reaches across ethnic lines? And people would say, you know, your church is multicultural. How did you figure that out? He would always come back with this response, our church is not multicultural. And the reason it works is because we are not multicultural. We are completely monocultural. The culture that we have is the gospel. We live and breathe every day on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And insofar as we are a people who are defined by the gospel and live by the gospel, that's what enables us to live as a congregation the way that we do. If we have a gospel culture, then we can experience all of those things as well. They break down hostility. They distinguish us from the world because those kinds of walls of division will always define the world. And then finally, they assure us that we belong to Christ. If you are Christ's, as he says in verse 29, the baptism and the Lord's Supper remind us that we belong to Christ. And if we are Christ's, then we are filled with hope because we are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God shows us how much He cares for us in giving these things to us. That's one of the great reminders in the sacraments. Just as people feel cared for when people give them gifts or show their thoughtfulness, God has not left us without a wonderful supply of grace. He shows us how much He cares for us in giving us the sacraments. And yet we also must learn that we must use these things in the way God intended, as a representation of, as a seal, and as an application of the wonderful message of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all of these things and ask that you would see fit to um, apply real grace and uh, encouragement to the hearts of those gathered here. And Father, might it have been truth that is spoken. Anything untrue or from human wisdom might fall to the ground forever. But may you build us up for the week ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen. 60. Close by singing number 460.